Prepare today for your transition tomorrow. I'm your host, Paul Pantani, and I want to welcome you to the Transition Drill Podcast. I'll be talking with guests about their career journey and seeking their advice to help those planning a similar change. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Chad McFarlane. He was a tank guy in the Army and had two deployments to Iraq. He planned to make the military a career, but a knee injury caused him to separate sooner than he expected. Having no solid transition plan, he decided to go to college. There, he began working with the Student Veterans Group, which turned out to be the catalyst for future jobs assisting veterans. During our conversation, Chad talked about his struggle with transitioning out of the military, addressing and dealing with his PTSD, and in general gave some good advice for members of the military transitioning into the civilian sector. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's get into episode 15. Where are you from? Uh, so I'm a bit of a rolling stone, I like to say. Um, uh, rolling stone gathers no moss. I was born in New Jersey. Um, and uh, when I was really young, as a baby still, we moved to Connecticut. So I lived in Connecticut from, you know, from yay big till about uh, sixth grade year. Then I moved to Florida. Uh, went through to my junior year. That had to be a culture shock as far as the weather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, after my junior year, I moved back to Connecticut, and then I ended up finishing my my high school career in uh, Rhode Island. And then from there, I joined the military. Growing up, did you have military in your family? Nope. No one at all. When did you know you wanted to go in the military? I really decided that I wanted to go. Um, so when I was in high school, I did a JROTC. So it was a Navy JROTC down there. So I really enjoyed that. Um, but the really the impetus was a 9-11. Um, you know, I think like everyone, the world stopped. You know, we were just glued to the TV. And, and from there, I really, you know, I had this urge to just go in and do something. So, But prior to 9-11, you were already kind of leaning that way doing the junior ROTC? Yeah, yeah, you could say that. When you decided to go in, what ch- what made you choose the, the Army as, a, as opposed to the other branches? Uh, well, ironically, I wanted to join the Marine Corps at first. Um, however, when I went in uh, medically, I, they wouldn't let me join the Marine Corps, so the, the joke is, they're like, oh no, you're blind, have flat feet, and bad back so the medical requirements are different for the the different branches i think back then they just had different standards were a little little tighter on there so each branch has um their own requirements effectively so um the joke is i kind of walked walking out of the recruiter's office dejected and the army guy's like hey come on (laughs) come on over i got all the jobs you want (laughs) going in what were you thinking you wanted to do or what were you leaning towards uh, originally, I wanted to do Intel. Um, I thought the idea of going in and you know contributing good intelligence to the fight would uh, be interesting. Um, I guess the what made me go into uh, armor instead is honestly they showed the uh, video of the tank jumping over the berm, and I was you know I was nineteen. I was like, oh, well, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Slightly cooler than intelligence. Yeah, yeah. So what year? What year is this? So this was 2002. Um, so yeah, so basically I tried to go in the Marine Corps in 2001. I obviously wasn't able to, so I kind of went back in 2002 and then uh, kind of got started from there. So 
did six months of uh, delay entry. So, you know, you go into the recruiter's office, kind of you do some light training to get up to speed. And then, um, yeah, July of 2002, I left to uh, go to basic training. With with everything going on post 9-11, um, obviously you knew you were going to be going to war. Was your family supportive of the decision to go in the military? I didn't tell them. Oh. <laughs> How were you able to do the, do the delayed entry without your parents signing? I was already 19 at that oh, point. okay. But, um... So yeah, so I kind of, well, after the fact, I'm like, so I, I enlisted. I'm gone in a couple of weeks. So they're like, what? You know, oh, well, at that point. Um, so I had an understanding that war would happen, but I was not particularly, um, I would say, politically aware or really tracking what was going on at that point in my life. You know, I understood Afghanistan and, and what was going on there. Um, however, I learned that we were going to Iraq when I was in basic training and, um, my, you know, we we're giving out orders, you know, towards the end, uh, my drill sergeant's like, Oh, oh, you're going to, you know, this post, Oh, don't unpack cause you're going to Iraq. I'm like, why, for what, what's there? <laughs> <laughs> so pulling out the map going, uh, let me at least figure out where this is in the world. Exactly. Exactly. And then, um, from there, I got out of basic training. I was on base for maybe two weeks. The division was already gone. I had enough time to maybe decide if I want to put a photo up, and then they were like, oh, you're heading out. So from there, um, it was November, late November of 2002. I was on a plane, landed in Kuwait, and kind of waiting to see what would happen uh, from there. Now, at that point in your military career were you thinking an entire career out of this were you thinking short term uh well i did my um original enlistment for six years um so i had a thought that i would do an entire career in there um i actually re-enlisted early at three years in for another six um but i ended up getting injured and so i had to get out so that kind of blew up my plans so how many years did you end up doing I ended up doing just over five total. So, and what was the injury? I was actually hit. Um, I was in a motor vehicle accident. Someone hit me, uh, kind of messed my leg up, so I wasn't able to deploy uh, for my. I guess that would have been my third deployment. How much time did you have from injury to separation? Um, let's see. I had my accident in 2006, and then, yeah, I got out in 2007, so maybe about a year. Um, ultimately, it was because um, I needed a certain amount of time to go through convalescence and, and heal. Um, my unit was deploying again, and, you know, they were really trying to get folks over there, get bodies over there. So my, um, my doc was like, uh, you need more time to heal up, so... Um, there's two ways this is going to go. I can, you know, we'll send you over there, but best case scenario, you'll mess your knee up again. Worst case scenario, you'll come home in a bag. So he's like, I'm just going to discharge you. So that's kind of the way it went. So I definitely had no plans on getting out and that's not what I uh, had in store for myself. So it was, um, you know, you kind of got to figure out what your next thing is going to be. When, when was it clear to you that the path was going to be getting out as opposed to staying in? Did you know 
early on? So you, you spent a year convalescing. Mm-hmm. Did you know kind of early on that the the end of the ride was coming or, or were you still kind of looking long-term like, no, oh, I can get through this? Uh, my thought was I was going to get through this and, and get better. It's just the way that um, operationally, the way things changed, they were, they were a bit kinetic back then. So, you know, we're in a high deployment tempo. Uh, the unit I was with, I ended up moving to a different unit. So the time I would have been back and being able to heal up, um, that got cut in half, basically. So coming up on that separation, what were you thinking as far as what you were going to do after you got out? Um, I mean, honestly, I thought I would probably go into law enforcement, perhaps. Um, I, do, I did like most service members, I guess, at, at that time. They didn't give me a lot of resources when you were getting out as far as going through, they call it TAPS, TGPS, whichever you want to call it, but, you know, the transition period that you're supposed to go to. Uh, typically, I think it's a little better now, but you're, you're supposed to go maybe three to four months out and start doing that. That's assuming your command gives you the opportunity to, to do it. Um, didn't really get that chance to do that. So, you know, I thought I would go either going to law enforcement or kind of go in the post office. A lot of service members do that. My mom used to work in the post office. So initially I got out and then I ended up doing that for a bit. I actually had a previous guest who, when he came out of the Marine Corps, he actually was a a postman for about a year. And uh, was, you know, initially he, he was, he was enjoying it, but then kind of, this just really isn't enough for me. Similar case for me. It was about two years. I was a mail carrier and then, um, Back in Florida. So you ended up back in Florida after you separated from the, the Army. Mm-hmm. Mail carrier for two years, and then what happened? Um, I learned a lot. You learn a lot about um, government bureaucracy and kind of the way things are and the things that they don't tell you. You, know, you go into the military, and, and you know what you need to do to succeed is laid out for you. You know, you right place, right time, right uniform. It's 80% of the job. Um, the rest you pick up and then you have leaders who guide you along the way. Um, when I got into the civilian landscape that, you know, it wasn't really the case. So did my job. I did it well. However, I didn't realize that, you know, there are certain steps you need to take while going in into a career like that. So basically, if you wanted to take the civil service exam, you needed to do it within two years of you going in because I was brought in as a transitional employee, um, what they called it. Because you were already technically a government of a government or an employee of the federal government, it was easy to bring you into the postal service. Yes, it should be. It should be. Should be. Okay. Yeah. Um, so basically when you come in as a transitional employee, I think they've even gotten rid of that designation now, but basically it's a, it's like an augmentee. So they bring you on with no benefits, no, None of the traditional benefits you would you would have. Um, however, you need to take the civil service exam within the two years of you uh, going for it, um, and then you'll you'll get hired. So basically, I had no idea that's what that was supposed to happen. So I've been kind of working and going through that process, or I'd just been working going on, and I you know I finally asked my supervisor, I'm like, when can I take the test? He's like, oh well, you need to take that like you know three weeks ago. Like, okay. Thanks for telling me. Yeah, thanks. So it was a lot of 
a lot of abuse, honestly. So coming out, did was there a separation gap, or did I mean, for no pun intended, did you get out on a Friday and start on Monday at the post office, or was there actually a period where you had to go through an interview and testing process with the postal service? Uh, so I got out and. Um, you know, you get a little bit of time. So I was on unemployment for maybe two or three months as I was kind of figuring out what I was going to do. Kind of went through the postal process. It took me about a month to kind of go through that whole process, take the test, take the exam, all, that, all, the, all those things. Um, the thing I also didn't realize because I wasn't tracking that much is when I got out, it was 2007. So that was not a good time to not have a job. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of when the bottom of the world fell out great recession and all that good stuff so you know a lot of the options i thought i would have had getting out they weren't there um so i did the post office for as long as i could um kind of do that work but there really was no there was no no growth no no opportunity to really move up and kind of make a career out of it so um that and i had experience a couple you know drive-bys on my route where oh. i was at so uh, the joke is i'm like i almost got shot at as much <laughs> in the post office as i did when i was uh active duty so people people don't think about the fact that mail still got to get delivered into some of the worst neighborhoods in the country mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and as far as you becoming a a postal employee you you talked about how you were supposed to take the civil servant civil service exam within two years even if you would have taken the exam within those two years were you were you not thinking that that was your future path were you already kind of thinking that it was a short-term stopgap it was more of uh i didn't really had a plan so coming up um you know didn't get a lot of reinforcement for college and saying how that's you know a viable path for me so I didn't really think that was uh, an opportunity, so I figured, you know, I'll go do that. That's a fine, perfectly good job. I can do that, get benefits, and just kind of keep tracking. Boop, did boop, did boop, you have boop. the GI Bill? I did, yes. So um, what I ended up doing after that, I decided I was going to attempt to go to school part-time. So, you know, I started community college, kind of gave it, uh, you know, a couple fits and starts there. All while you're in Florida? Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually wasn't quite, didn't work out the quite the way I, I wanted it to. And then, um, they came out with the new GI bill, the post nine 11 GI bill, which, um, which the benefits were a lot further expanded. So when I got out, it was, we were still using the Montgomery GI bill, which is, you know, the benefits were far less than what they are to, to this day. Um, now, so once that came out, you know, my family was back up north in Rhode Island and Connecticut. So I figured, you know what, I'll just take the chance and head up there and um, go to school. So moving back to Rhode Island, specifically with the intention of just getting school knocked out and then going from there, mm-hmm. what were you leaning towards as far as your education route? I was looking to go into engineering. Um, you know, I was kind of looking at, all right, what's the best what's the best paying job that I can do that will um, provide me the best opportunity. Um, A lot of my uncles are engineers. And so as I was seeking educational advice from them and kind of where where to go, because I was initially thinking, go to online school like University of Phoenix or or, um, 
uh, something like that um, as an opportunity. Um, so they said, well, maybe take a look at some of these other options, maybe try some of these things, take a look at this, maybe look at the state schools. And so as I was going through it, I started to learn more about what, um, what educational benefits are really provided you know, per state, per, per institution and whatnot. And what year was this? So this was in 2010. So the, the whole online learning was just probably getting uh, more prevalent at this point. Yes. Um, so what school did you end up at first? So I ended up going to the Community College of Rhode Island uh, there. And, you know, I was very excited to go. So first off, in trying to get signed up for classes, I was trying to do it remotely from Florida calling the school and trying to figure out what we need to do. And the initial experience, and I don't, I don't fault the school. I think it's more, no one was really used to dealing with veterans at this point. So it was, um, it was hard. It was hard to, um, to kind of work with folks and, and figure out what I needed to, to do even. At this point, is there no, source of resource for you as a veteran to kind of help you through this process? No, not at that point. So, um, so you enroll at Rhode Island Community College mm-hmm. and studying towards engineering. Yep. And then how did you end up with the student veteran group? So the irony is, as I was on campus and I saw a flyer on the wall for a student veteran group. I said, okay, well, that's interesting. Let's, let's check this out. Then I met, um, you know, a good friend of mine now, um, uh, Anthony uh, Pantolino. So he was starting a veterans group on, on campus there and kind of, I found, I found that camaraderie I was missing. Uh, say one of the things that I was dealing with on the way out, um, was some unresolved PTSD, um, as well as some injuries that I've had while I was in, um, IED blasts, you know, TBI, those kind of things. So I had initially signed up for all, you know, took a full load of classes thinking I'm going to go hard charge and run into it. And I, um, immediately failed my first semester, like all my classes because I just had a lot I needed to work through and, and get, seek help for. Were you, as, as odd as this might sound, I'm sure you were aware of how you were feeling and the symptoms that you were experiencing, but were you equating it at that time with PTSD? No, not initially. Um, the reason I ended up really getting involved with the VA and, and talking, seeking help is my, you know, my girlfriend, who you know, I've been with for a long time at this point, um, she mentioned that I think in my sleep I was having a nightmare or something. And I, I, you know, I guess I almost attacked her in my sleep. and I didn't realize it. And so she was like, hey, you know, you just like tried to choke me out and you need to see someone. You, you need to deal with this. Otherwise, I'm not going to stay. Were you open to it or were you kind of resistant to the idea that you were going to go talk to somebody? Uh, initially, I was very resistant. Um, I think at the time when I was getting out there or at the time when I was in PTSD was not, it's a, you know, it was a career killer basically. You know, if you say you need help, say you need to um, say you're, you're feeling some kind of way, it, it, 
it can it'll kill your career effectively. So the suck it up, Buttercup, just move on and, and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. How how much did it? Looking back on it, were you aware at the time when you were, for no better term, forced out of the military? How much did that impact you? Just losing that aspect of your life. I it impacted me pretty hard. Um, I had been with basically the same group of guys for five years. Almost my entire time I was in, I was in the same unit, with the same people for the most part. Um, Seeing so, you know, they become that second family you had. So getting out, I kind of felt like I was, you know, off to the wolves effectively, you know, just out there trying to figure it out on your own. I'm assuming lost contact with probably most or all of them. Quite a few, yeah. There's some I still keep up with, but yeah, you kind of lose lose touch. Out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. So you're back up in Rhode Island. You you started school, but now you failed your first semester. Mm-hmm. What was your what was the that transition? I mean, how'd you get kind of back on track? Um, it was really finding that veteran group on campus and finding a new group that unit away from the unit so to speak and then finding some purpose in helping other veterans go who are going through this how to how to move through this uh this experience effectively and so did you end up moving on from rhode island community college as far as your educational experience yes took me a bit but i did um i ended up moving on to the university of rhode island um i ended up switch changing majors and i switched to economics and Getting that degree, what was your intention to do? Um, I thought I would probably end up in either government or maybe nonprofit. Um, along the way, while I was going to school, through helping veterans and learning about all the different resources, because part of what we did with our you know our veteran group on campus was to you know, research benefits and things that are available to you. So really got involved on campus, student government, and um, working with the different organizations, talking with professors, and really starting to peel back the layers of what's, of what's actually available. You know, it's, it's, I would say like in any system, you know, if you pick up a computer, you know, how much of that powered, how much of the, how much of the benefit, um, resources do we actually use on this unless you're a power user, so to speak? So you start really peeling back the different quote settings and whatnot and really understanding what this can do. Same thing with an institution. It has a ton of more resources than you think are available. So, But uh, like when you came out of the military, if you don't know what those resources or those assets are, you don't even know how to use them. Exactly. You don't even know what, you, what you're missing, effectively. You don't know what you don't know. When did you make the switch to being a user of the system to some to somebody who wanted to be an asset and helping somebody else coming behind you? Uh, the moment someone did that for me, basically. So as soon as you got to the Rhode Island Community College, you then became a, I don't know, a helper or an employee of the student veteran group? I was a member of the student veteran group. And then from there, we just sought to fill a need as as we saw it you know my experience coming in to trying to enroll in classes was rough you know understanding what veteran benefits are available um to students 
to veterans specifically was hard. You know, how do you, how do you apply your GI bill benefits? You know, how do you work with the certifying official? Um, they have a disability waiver that you can use. For, so if you have a service connection, you're, you're eligible for that. But if you don't know to ask for that, then you won't, you won't effectively. So what we, what we saw is veterans are, they tend to be a group that doesn't really, they don't complain much. They don't really, basically if they can meet these basic needs, you know, where do I get my books? How do I go to class? How do I leave? You know, those are kind of the main three things. They're not usually the squeaky wheel asking a, a thousand questions. Exactly. Exactly. So while you were doing this, were you seeking treatment for or assistance for PTSD? Yes. Was that also facilitated through the student veteran group or did you have to do that on your own? It was on my own, but because we became so ingrained in campus and Rhode Island's very small, so we had the opportunity to really meet and understand um, the different benefits that the state provided as well as the VA. So in me going to see, seek out help at the VA, I was able to meet folks, learn about their programs, and then say, hey, can we bring those programs back to the campus? So for other veterans who don't know how to use this, um, or for folks to understand even using the GI Bill, oh, I might be running out of benefits. What can we do next? Um, you know, you start talking with your, your VA counselors, start talking with the mental health folks, and you try and tie all that together. Because basically, I just want to make sure that we can bring any and all resources back to the campus for our veterans to be able to use it. And when you transitioned to the four-year college, did you stay active with the, the veteran assistance? I did, yep. Same program, just at a different school, or was it a, a completely different program? Uh, so they had their own veterans organization. So, you know, we work to help them scale up and, and provide um, the same benefits on campus as well. Each campus, each institution, I think, as, as you would know, being you've worked in multiple uh, departments and jurisdictions, each has its own politics and and pathways to work through, I guess. So it was basically learning, learning who the, learning who, who the folks are who can make the decisions is a word I'm looking for, but I am missing it at this moment. <laughs> That's okay. And when, for you, when did it become clear that working with veterans was actually going to become your future, your pathway? Um, it just, I just kind of fell into it because in doing this on campus, you were able to get these benefits. Then we saw that, hmm, how can we help bring these benefits to the other campuses in the state, you know, other institutions? Um, working with Anthony, we were able to find, uh, found a veterans organization, nonprofit, and worked on veteran policy at the state house. So it just kept as we kept peeling it back, there was this more and more things that we realized that we could help, help accomplish. So, so basically it kind of sounds like because it wasn't in place initially being part of the force driving it forward, just kind of, you got sucked up in the wave moving forward, basically going with it. It's, you know, you find a need, fill a need. And 
considering my my background and you know where I where I came up and came from, considering it's a, a small state like Rhode Island's very I would say insular and uh, Rhode Island's known as a Noah guy state. So, <laughs> um, I didn't think I'd ever be one of those people who knows knows a person, but as resources do become available, I just want to make sure that you just pass them on because if someone did it for me, I wouldn't be able to do the things I, I've been able to do. So I want to make sure that the next next person has the opportunity. So that's really the driving force on really anything that I do. That need to constantly give back, mm-hmm. finding your new purpose, so to speak. Yes. So after graduation, you have a degree now in economics. Did you go towards that path or did you stay in the veteran assistance realm? So I ended up going into government there. So I ended up working for our, one of our members of, of Congress um, in, in Rhode Island. Um, I ended up being the commencement speaker at the community college. Um, so the, the congressman was there and he was like, hey, I, I, like, uh, I like what you're doing there. You, maybe, maybe you want to come you know, do some of this work in, in my office. So as I was going to school at the University of Rhode Island, I was actually working um, for one of the congressmen. So basically I was doing was the Veterans Affairs Coordinator and then the Grants uh, Coordinator. So it was taking this knowledge and providing benefits, but learning it from the federal government side and being able to work at the higher levels of the VA to bring these benefits here. So veteran constituents would come and they had issues that they needed to work out. We were able to, you know, use those channels to cut through red tape and, you know, get people the services that they need and then being a conduit just for anything else that they needed. So, so you definitely switched to a a role where you're really kind of seeing behind the curtain on how the bureaucracy works. Mm Mm-hmm. And in, in making that transition, one of the things I want to go backwards on, though, quite the accomplishment when you think about it of your first semester, you failed out to going to the point of giving the commencement speech at graduation. Quite an accomplishment. Didn't expect it. Um, you know, they, they basically... I didn't even know who nominated me, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, effectively what I was told is, you know, you, you've given, you've given, and then some to, to, to the campus community and, and made it better, better for, for this work that was started by Anthony. Um, when he moved on to his next uh, campus, you know, it kind of grabbed the baton and kept going with it and, you know, and tried to leave something sustainable so the next person can, can keep it going from there. So how long were you with the government, so to speak, working for this? So I did that for a little over almost two years again. And then I ended up going over to General Dynamics. Um, Which ultimately brought you out here to California. Yes. Was your, was there an interest to, to leave Rhode Island or, or I mean, I guess what I'm saying is any reservations coming to California? Um, I mean, you know, you build your network, you, you know how to, you reach a point where you, you understand what you're doing, you know, who all the players are to achieve the things you want to achieve to continue doing that service. So that was, I would say the big reservation in leaving and kind of 
uprooting coming out here. Never lived on the West Coast. Don't really have any network out here on the West Coast. So that was uh, that was trying for sure. But um, but we were able able to you know continue doing this this type of work and and um, and bring benefit to try and add value and show that veterans add value to what we're doing. How'd you find? The transition going over to General Dynamics, uh, a, a good company to work for, supportive of, of you and the veterans, obviously? Yeah, absolutely. Um, great thing with General Dynamics is, I mean, the lion's share of the company, the products we build, the products that services that we provide are for the U.S. military. So it was almost like coming home in a sense. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but General Dynamics makes the Abrams tank that I used in the military. You know, that very tank saved my life more than more than once surviving IED blasts and whatnot. So I truly see the value in the products that we provide and being able to be on the other side. You know, from my role as a as a recruiter, military military program lead, which whatnot is to find the best people to continue to do that service so we can continue to serve those who are still serving. So how long have you been doing that job now? So just about a little over four years or next year will be four years. There. And as far as the, making that transition, what's your role now What within the company as far as uh, what you're doing with veterans? So right now I am a strategic outreach specialist at um, our NASCO division here in San Diego. Um, what I do is I am the military program lead for the organization. So I go out, recruit um, prior service, military, reservists, um, veterans that come into the company and, you know, and find that place, place for folks. Also, I work on our uh, veterans employee resource group. We try to work to bring external benefits, external resources into our veteran population uh, here as well. And I do community outreach. So I work with um, external organizations as well and try and find different uh, talent channels for the company. With, with what you're doing now, does it fill that void that you kind of had? Uh, it does. Um, it it allows me to i would say when a lot of folks are transitioning myself uh as well when i was deployed we knew there were contractors out there you know we we know that there are a lot of large military contractors who the who we work with and the the defense contractors are almost this this thing we hold on high as like, wow, if I can really just get in there because, you know, it's a good paying job. You, you're you working for an organization that supports the mission. You're still giving, you're still having the opportunity to give back. But it always seems like a black box. Think of it as um, defense contractors consulting, you know, those organizations. Think of that as the Ivy League of getting out of the military. These are, the, these are where you want to go. Um, but unless you are, unless you have that network, unless you had the right job in the military, you don't really expect that you're going to have the opportunity to go there. So me being able to 
be in this company, particularly on the talent acquisition side as a recruiter, I can show there is a path in here. You do have the skill set. It's just a matter of how do we translate that so um, the rest of the recruiters, the rest of the people, the hiring managers can look at you and see what I see um, as a candidate. So it's great in that I get to help um, help our veterans, help our military members really bring out their best selves so they can be, uh, be the strongest candidate they can be for these organizations. It's 12 now. Oh. Yeah. So from when you left to now, obviously working on the, in the, this entity of helping veterans on a daily basis, how are you seeing the changes as far as military people and their transition today compared to what it was when you came out? Has it changed in a positive way? I would say so. Um, some of the things that I've, that I've noticed is, uh, veterans are a lot, or transitioning service members are a bit more aware of what is available to them. Um, in that, I would say each of the branches has gotten a lot better on transition um, in making sure that there is a, a more of a smoother handoff between, let's, if you have medical issues, met, your medical issues into the VA. So the branches have done fairly well in, in the VA as well. And, 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 tying those together so it's a little bit more seamless um the transition classes have gotten a lot better so folks are really at least have an idea of what they what they want to do when they get out that's been that's been better um so a lot of it is really just saying okay i'm i'm getting pinged by folks a little bit earlier in the process saying, all right, well, I want to get out and I think I want to work for this company. Let me reach out to you. So I'll get messages on LinkedIn or, or whatnot. And folks are asking, Hey, what, what can I do to get in here? What, you know, what are, what are some of the things? What do you think's driven this change? Uh, there has been a, at least over the last, I would say 10 years, there was a strong emphasis on, you know, trying to stamp out veteran homelessness and making sure that veterans uh, had the opportunity to to be successful uh, upon the end of service, considering the high op temp, the high operational tempo that um, the country asks of our service members, and you know, our society has gotten to a point where we want to make sure that we don't leave anyone behind, like um, has been happening in the past. General Dynamics only seeks employees for General Dynamics, or do you assist in placing employees with a variety of companies? So I work specifically with General Dynamics. That said, um, you meet enough recruiters on the road when you're you know, out recruiting. You meet folks from other companies. So if there is if a veteran wants to get somewhere, I'll do my best to help them get to wherever it is they're trying to go. Um, even if it's not with us. So now is your chance to kind of be that, that voice of reason. Uh, what, are, what are the key points that you would tell somebody as far as planning their transition? How long out should they be doing this? What are some of the, you know, do's and don'ts? Uh, I could spend <laughs> an hour talking about that. But uh, <laughs> um, what I would say is, 
there's kind of two things you want to think about. It's do you have a geographic zone? Do you have a type of company or industry you want to work for? So I would say industry, where do you want to be? Or do you have a specific company? Think about that. The other things you want to think about it, you know, what do you see yourself doing on a daily basis? Do you see yourself leading individuals? Do you want to work on projects? Um, are you more of an individual contributor? Do you want to be a subject matter expert? These are all these things that you kind of want to start thinking about as you, uh, as you go through it. Then from there, you know, you start doing your research, start researching. If you're, if geographic location is your main focus, start picking the parts of the country you want to live in and then seeing what industries are, are uh, prevalent there. And then you can start your search there. If it's, I really want to get into this industry, you know, research, what are the companies in this industry that, uh, that do it for me in trying to figure out what I wanted to do, because I had a very, very narrow scope and a shallow depth of information, I guess, you know, getting out. So for me, all I heard was you would take the, you know, they have those career translators when you get out. I'm not particularly a fan of them. I know some people might really like them. I, I don't like them because you get put in a box. So for me as a tanker getting out, when I plug my, my uh, MOS into it, it says, hey, you'd be, you can be cop, security guard, janitor, like the three things it told me I could do, which is nothing wrong with that. However, just seems like an odd mix from coming from being on a tank crew. Exactly. It's because there's not a direct translation between combat arms roles and the rest of, you know, the civilian, civilian world. So there are roles that do have direct translation. So if you are a communication specialist, you know, you can plug that in and you'll, you'll find a bunch of things. So it really depends on what you do. So for me, I didn't want to be, um, I didn't want to be limited to just these three things because the, the, the program spit this out and said, this is what I can do. So I was able to really see what was available to me um, in going to school. So the other part of it that I would say is, is the networking. Networking is huge. It's, it's, it is, it's pretty much the whole game. Once you've narrowed down either location, company, or industry, you want to start networking. You really want to start talking to folks and really understand uh, what it is you're trying to do and get into. One second. Oh, you're good. Um, so once you've identified that, then you start talking to people within that space. And then you look for programs that are available that can provide even some immersion into, into some of these uh, areas that you're looking at. So if you really want to be in a defense contractor, they have programs for um, exiting service members, uh, duty skill bridge, for example, um, where companies take on what we call the military fellows at general dynamics. But basically you can come in up to 180, 180 days um, before you get out of the service. You can spend time, learn about the company, actually inside the company you're doing work you're seeing the culture you're understanding what it is that you're doing and you're able to do this while you're still active yes mm -hmm. and so on a time zone or a, a timeline 
how early should you be looking at these transition drills? I'm trying to steal my podcast name, but you know, yeah. when should they start doing this networking and reaching out and, and, and doing these, these uh, visits or, you know, immersions. So at least a year and a half out, honestly, you know, you can start having initial conversations a year and a half out. So 18 months out, you're, you're, you've gotten in your mind, you know what, you know, you're at that, I guess it would be 17 and a half years or you're thinking, I'm, I'm not probably not going to re-up for this next, this next rodeo. I think I'm going to hang up my hat. So that's as soon as you have that thought, you know, barring, you know, an industry, uh, an injury or something that forces your hand and you have to get out. As soon as you make the decision that I want to get out, that's when you need to start having these conversations and start doing that research. And, and ultimately it falls down to kind of sounds like you really got to make one of two choices. Are you going to make your decision based on where do you want to end up living or what do you want to end up doing for a job? The two primary factors. Yeah. I would say those are the two, the two main ones. Um, and you know, and this is just for if you must want to get out and go work somewhere. Now, maybe you want to go into an industry that is completely outside of your wheelhouse. Now you're thinking, okay, I need to go to school. Now what? Um, so the next thing you should be is if I want to go in it, if I want to go back get my degree or a credential up so I can get these roles. Now you're thinking what school has said program that I want to do. Um, where does the school rank? What are the benefits that they have available for me as a, as a veteran on these campuses? You know, what kind of support will I get? Um, cost of living, how much will this cost for you to even go to school to do these things? So these are all the things that you, you start thinking about as, as you're making the decision. So, you know, region or company industry, if I don't have the, if I don't have the credentials for said industry, now how do I get those credentials for said industry? You know, kind of like that. Can you get most or all of your college out of the way before you separate from the military can you actually do all of that as opposed to getting out and then having to go to school uh you, you can absolutely um definitely takes a lot more dedication and a true focus on what you want to do so you know if you're going while active duty there are lots of programs that cater towards um, service members that have partnerships even within your branch they have opportunities so if you are if you're enlisted and you're trying to, these are th more early on in your career, these, these conversations and thoughts you may have, but um, there are lots of ways. There's prof there is professional military education you can do while you're in active duty. So if you're, you know, mid-career and you're thinking, all right, I want to attain next ranks, do this, you know, they'll send you to school. If you're enlisted and you want to go be an officer, you can take time out and get your degree that way and then come back in as an officer. There's, there's those opportunities. Um, if you get out and you still want to knock your school out, you can just transition from active duty to National Guard or Reserve or a reserve component. So there's a lot of things you can do. But, and there are the, I would say most military posts have a, uh, have an educational partner that they, that they work with on 
either if not on posts nearby that you can work work to and work with and and knock out your degree it's going to take a lot more little more dedication you know don't maybe not go go ham on the weekends <laughs> as much spend a little more time knocking these out as you go along but you can certainly knock out a lot of that uh, work prior with what you you do each day is the men and women that you're dealing with more enlisted or officer or kind of 50-50? More enlisted for who I deal with, for the type of folks that we hire. Um, other divisions, because of the nature of their work, they may have more of a mix between um, officers and, and those and those type of roles. So for me, I hire a lot of what you call touch labor, um, trades work, um, first first and second level managers those super supervision so i i i tend to hire a lot more enlisted folks for these opportunities um some other divisions so um like our sister unit uh, mission systems they have a lot of ts cleared roles for their for their programs and they have a lot of program management opportunities within their organization so they give a more of a mix from the that subject matter expert to officers who are coming in and managing uh, programs and, and projects. Is there an ideal skill set that somebody should have when it, to, to get hired by what you place? So specifically for me, what I would look for, um, I look for how much, I look, I look more for soft skills, honestly. So we have in-house training at our, at our company. So if you wanted to come in as a trades individual, you know, we'll teach you. Um, if you already have a trade, so we'll use the Navy for an example. Um, you know, our machinist mates, our electricians, our electronics techs, those folks, you know, I can come in and kind of place you directly. Um, if you don't have that skill set, we can teach it to you. So we do have that as an opportunity for our engineers. We hire a decent amount of engineers as well. For those who have, um, you know, some leadership background, so your mid-level NCO, you know, first level and mid-level NCOs, non-commissioned officers, we have opportunities for them as well to come in as area managers or, um, you know, ships managers, tests and trials, our organization there. If you have a supply chain background, we have opportunities for folks in the supply chain realm. So we have a lot um, that we do offer. With the whole COVID pandemic and, and the switch over at least on the civilian side to remote working and working from home and stuff like that are you seeing that aspect from the veteran community or or general dynamics those type employers or is it still largely in person well for us because we are more of a heavy manufacturing it's going to be more in person um we do there are some people who work remote it's more of a case by case other units within GD are, are heavily, um, have a lot more flexibility for that. So for our IT focused, um, businesses are more white collar, uh, positions. There, there's a lot more opportunities for, uh, remote work. Do you find that most job opportunities are going to be in and immediately around existing military bases? So for instance, we're here in San Diego, there's gotta be a, a, a large amount of work for somebody who's, who's going to stay in this area. Or, or is it pretty much spread out across the country? It depends. Um, 
you will find that there is a defense contractor who services each type of base that's available or around. Um, for example, we have General Dynamics has personnel on almost every single military base in the country, um, just about uh, for our heavy manufacturing. So ship repair and ship manufacturing like we do, we're going to be clustered obviously around na um, Navy facilities for our our like GDIT, GD mission systems, those, those organizations, they're going to be a lot more spread out around the country. So they, they can work remote. They can have small, small teams that support, um, you know, whichever product or weapon system or whatnot that they're working on, on each of these bases. But our large facilities are going to be more of our manufacturing organizations. And then they're going to be clustered in certain areas. So it's entirely feasible that somebody could go from being deployed and stationed at a particular military base, separate from the military, and be right back on that base as a civilian contractor? Yeah, that happens quite a bit. So something I would like to go back to, as we talked about earlier, the, the whole PTSD thing I'm finding is a much bigger, not that I didn't have an idea of how big the issue was, but the 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 number of people that it's really touching at some level and, and going back to your story, what advice would you give to somebody who's dealing with that or not dealing with it? I would say there is absolutely no shame in, you know, admitting to yourself. I think that's the first, that if you're feeling some kind of way, if you're feeling that you need help, there's nothing wrong with it. And I would say that for me, the biggest critic, the, the person who was most hard on myself for needing help was me. Um, everyone has been supportive. Everyone I've dealt with has always been supportive, but it's still, it's taking that first step and admitting to yourself that if you need help, help's out there. Don't suffer in silence. You don't have to. Don't think that asking for help is, is being a failure. Exactly. Now, did you find that there was one particular thing other than just getting counseling that really kind of helped? Or was it just merely getting in and talking to someone? Getting in and talking to someone and giving back has been very cathartic for me. Um, in sharing my story, in letting people know that, you know, if you need an ear, if you need anyone to talk to, whichever, I, I try to be there because people were there for me. So in giving of myself for others, has been very healing for me. Uh, I mean, it can be rough at times too, because in doing that, I do, I hear a lot of stories and I hear a lot of similarities to my own. And, you know, sometimes you're brought back to places you don't want to be. But um, overall, in, in having the opportunity to, to this help people get through what they're getting through, it, it's, it's been really, really helpful. If I'm not going too personal, do you still seek counseling? I do. So for somebody who's in that position, um, the idea that, You've got to get to a point where you can deal with it, but it, it's not, again, not a sense of failure if today 
you feel okay and tomorrow you don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that getting counseling didn't work for you. It, it sounds like it's an ongoing process that constantly you have to address. It's a, it's a process. Um, for me, it's, it's an ongoing process. It might always be one for me. Um, but you, know, you have good days, you have bad days. Um, but being able to go and talk to someone and process these things. And the, the good thing about going to counseling or talking to the, the VA or, or whoever you, you seek your counseling from is, you know, a good counselor, they're not going to give you the answer. They're not going to tell you, do this, and then everything is great. It's going to be, they're just going to help you process what you're, what you're dealing with. They know how to ask the right question mm-hmm. to get you going down the right pathway. Exactly. And how much does it help? You mentioned that in talking to veterans, sometimes it can take you down a, a road maybe you don't want to go down. But do you find that it actually ends up helping you to go down that road every once in a while and, and still be able to come back out of it? It does. Um, one of the, I went through a VA study recently and um, it was called episodic. It's a type of episodic counseling where they make you kind of go in deep, relive the thing, you know, that, that's been the, at least a particular thing that was, the, the, that may have been the, the genesis of, of what's going on. You really go and relive it, process it. Um, uh, I joke and call it basically you go and you pick the scab. You know, you're, you'll feel rough afterwards. I put some ointment on it, but we'll, we'll pick it some more and keep cleaning it out, cleaning all the junk out of there and, and uh, putting context to what you experienced. Because a lot, of, a lot of what you see and a lot of what you may have dealt with is, you know, external, is your own factors tied in with external factors that are, that are maybe even clouding and you lose context of, of what you experienced. Well, you make it, you bring it up a good point. You make a good analogy of kind of picking at the scab. And it almost kind of seems like that's the aspect of healing. You've got to get it to where the scab goes away and all that's left is a scar. The scar is there going to be there to remind you, but it doesn't bleed every day. Yeah. If that's a, a decent analogy. You're, your trauma may be a part of you, but it doesn't have to define you. Any last words of wisdom you could throw out to our veteran community? For veterans, just know that there is a world of benefits and a world of resources that are out there for you. Um, I have yet to find a single person who does not want to help and help you achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. And I'll leave you with this. It's a pet peeve of mine. Do not take a cell phone selfie for your LinkedIn photo. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Rule number one, don't, don't take a selfie. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is a LinkedIn account? It's incredibly important at this point. I would say... Most recruiters are on there at this point. And the really cool thing about LinkedIn is you may have folks you worked with who are at the company 
that you want to go to. So at a minimum, there are veterans at the company you want to work to. So you can always reach out to someone and say, hey, I saw you on LinkedIn. You're at X company. How can I do what you do? I'm really curious. Let's chat. Most people will help you. You really start seeing how small the world really is when you really start looking at the world. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time, sir. Yep. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.